Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts, I'm Michael Footer. And I'm Amanda Farrow. On each episode, we'll cover the biggest business beats and bring an expert commentary from lawyers, analysts, and industry pros. This is episode 126, Square Enix's shocking Western sell-off. half expecting you to make that into comedy and then when you didn't now I'm stunned I don't know what to do (laughs) this is a hard one to turn into comedy simply because it's so shocking and I'm not gonna lie I'm so tired from opening my eyes looking at my phone and then not being able to go back to sleep because what I know but we'll get to that we'll get to that uh first up uh good news everyone it's earnings season! Hooray! Hooray! Uh, first up, this is not an earnings show. In fact, when I pulled together <laughs> the earnings calendar... Oh, uh, no. And, and the funny thing is, I do this independently, and Dom did his as well. And I looked at it, and there are something like 14 companies reporting next week. Now, they're not okay, all listen, companies... listen, we, we are not reporting on all of them. No, I think there's probably eight or nine that we're going to go... That we're going to that we're gonna do. But it's just... It, it's too much. And a lot of it is there's not a lot of interesting stuff. There's not a lot of reason for us to cover it. Unless there's something truly shocking. Yes. Uh, again, we'll get to the shocking. But Microsoft has reported its Q3 earnings. Uh, for the company, revenue was up 18% to $49.4 billion. Operating income was up 19% to $20.4 billion. And net income was up 8% to $16.7 billion. Typically, we're not going to spend too much time on Microsoft, the company, because there's so much more that Microsoft does. But we do want to give you the context here that it was a strong quarter for Microsoft. Absolutely. So what's going on with games, though? Uh, this is really interesting. And I think... Here's what I- Siri wants Siri wants to let you know that she found some stuff. I'm really proud of Siri. I'm, I'm proud she's of, such a good she's such a good listener. She is such a good listener. But I, she's kind of an interrupting Nelly. That was a weird one. I'm gonna go ahead and put this on Do Not Disturb, I guess. That's fudging weird. <laughs> Technology is yeah. fun. Siri like chiming in on the podcast. Special guest, everyone. So this is really interesting. And one of the things that we're going to start seeing take shape is that supply has definitely played a big role in what's going on in the hardware space. I mean, it's not a surprise. We've been talking about this for, gosh, two years now. Oh, no. Has it really almost been two years? It it has been. You remember we we sat down with Matt Piscatella a number of times before they announced pricing. It was in September. Yeah. So it was in the fall. So so we're a few months away from, from two years. But Xbox content and services revenue is up 4% despite a strong comp last year in Q3. That's impressive. Growth was due to Game Pass subscriptions with first-party games offsetting declines in third-party titles. Wait a second. I'm not sure if I've ever seen that. No, this is a really interesting one because if you think about the trajectory of Microsoft... And how we talked about Xbox not having first-party games, and that was their big weakness. And then, of course, they started with their buying spree. In 2018. In 2018. This has now shifted where you had a soft third-party quarter that was made up for by strong 
first party offerings. That's wild. I, I honestly, this is the kind of stuff that we see from Sony. Exactly. And it's so, interesting to see this from Microsoft because but, normally it's third party offsetting weak first party. Exactly. Okay. So, so there's more. Hold on. Hardware revenue is up 14% due to high demand for Xbox Series X and the extra small, small. I still love that we call it the extra small, small. Me too. We'll eventually have one in this house, I'm sure. I just want a pretty little speaker. A pretty little little extra small, small? Pretty little extra small, small. Now, one of the things that when we think about Microsoft and we talk about one of the big shifts, it's that they have a CEO now who is fully committed to the idea of Microsoft being a gaming company. It's not an afterthought. It's not a side project. It's not an add-on. It's not an add-on, although we still would love to see it be in its own division, although strategically I understand why it isn't, because then they're really laying it all bare. If they but put I it want in, to, if, but do it. I know. If they Give, put it feed in, us. Feed us data. Gaming and other services or whatever whatever group it's in right now. Content and services. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got some cover. So here's what CEO Satya Nadella said on the call. Quote, we have taken share globally for two quarters in a row, and we are the market leader this quarter among the next-gen consoles in the United States, Canada, UK, and Western Europe. So, obviously, next-gen, doing a lot of lifting in that statement, it does not include Switch, because Nintendo always bridges the generations, and this is why I hate the idea of, like, numbered generations. I don't like it. No. And, And nobody can remember... Nobody remembers like, oh, what was Gen 4? It's like, I don't know. Fudge knows, man. I don't know. It was the Nintendo. <laughs> I, I mean, if we're calling NES and the Sega Master System Gen 1, mm-hmm. Super Nintendo was Gen 4. Nintendo 64 would have been... Would, I'm sorry. Super Nintendo was Gen 2. Super Nintendo 64 would have been Gen 3. Gen 4 was GameCube. GameCube. But that can't be, right? I don't think so. That's weird. I don't like it. Stop it. I don't no, know. No, no. We're getting, off, we we're getting do off the rails this. here. This is why we don't do this. We're getting off the rails. Additionally, more than 10 million people have used Xbox Cloud Gaming. So oh, what damn. they're saying is globally, Xbox has led for the last two quarters. Now, there's a lot of reasons. In specific regions, but like to, to be no, really clear. No, they have taken share globally for two quarters in a row. Oh. They were the market leader this quarter oh, among next gen consoles okay. in those four regions, which are sig- significant Western regions. This is I've never heard of the Canadas. The Canadas. So supply is a big factor here. Obviously, we Obviously, know that yeah. Sony has had trouble putting hardware in the in the channel. Yeah. And on top of it, there's a lot of confusion about how much is actually available because so much of the distribution has been directly through Sony, which creates another layer of obfuscation over, okay, exactly how many consoles are out there. Now, they're doing their best, and it's a difficult time, and this is not to say that Sony's doing a poor job. It's that Microsoft has been able to meet demand better than Sony has, which has played a large role. Additionally, Game Pass as an option, and I think I I said this on the show last week or two weeks ago. It's huge. Game Pass is getting people to the point where I really want to play, I really want a new console. We said this last week, yeah. It was last week. I really want a console. Game Pass. I really, I, PlayStation 5 is my first choice. I can't get a PlayStation 5. So maybe I should just, you know, it's, Game Pass seems really great. Maybe I'll just get an Xbox. I'm not even really sure if I would, if I would come at it even just from that angle. It's also, this is a system that I can get Game Pass on, which gives me access to a ton of third party titles, all first party titles. Mm-hmm. 
And that library is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yep. And we don't have the power gap that we had last generation. Not even a little. We no. don't have kind of the, the the optics that we were that we were coming into the generation with, where Xbox One just was optically very very bad from a core gamer yeah. perspective. Yeah. Exactly. So it's really interesting. Um, speaking of Game Pass. Yeah. Hours played on Game Pass is up forty five percent. For the trailing 12 months. Whoa, that's incredible. So, I mean, this is interesting because... That's a big number. It's a huge number because when you contrast that with what we've started talking about, the con- about the contraction. Oh, yeah, of The course. shift back to, to normalcy as it was or pre-pandemic. It's never going to it's never no, going to shrink it, it, quite that much No, it's, it's not. But when you see Game Pass growing like this, you can see where people are spending their time, their money... The most important, what do we talk about on this show over and over and over again? Engagement. Engagement. If content is king, engagement is like right there too. It's so important. If you don't have engagement, if you don't have a person's time and attention, Mm -hmm. you don't really have much. And this is You just have their money. And this is why when, when Microsoft switched over to reporting active users as opposed to sales and you know last generation it didn't make as much sense but they got ahead of it and now reporting on monthly active users makes a ton of sense so let's transition to our into our next story because i don't this next one's frustrating this next one is frustrating and i really feel like i'm gonna caveat this (laughs) because if you listen to this podcast and you don't know us from anyone it would be very easy to come away and say, oh, they're Xbox fanboys, they're Microsoft fanboys. That's not true. It's not true. And I wrote some extremely harsh criticism of Microsoft during the Xbox One era. And I spent most of my gaming hours, my console gaming hours last generation on PlayStation 4. We have a PlayStation 5. I love my PlayStation 5. I think it's a great piece of hardware. I do not spend a ton of time console gaming these days. No, neither of us do. Yeah. We're mostly on and, our and our when desktops. I do, I split it. Yeah, I, I think we're I think we're pretty evenly split. Yeah, between the two for sure. But when it comes to the business decisions that are being made this generation and, and leading into this generation, you, we have been more bullish on on the way Microsoft is approaching. We've talked about philosophical differences, but there's a big reason for that. Mm-hmm. Again, and I have said this over and over and over again, and I will continue to say it for the moment consumer sentiment and corporate strategy are aligned. And as long as that continues to be the case and they keep making business decisions that are not just good for developers, but that are good for players and that's good for the industry, that's what I care about. Yep. The moment they stop doing that, the teeth come out. Yep. And so here we are, we're, we're going to lean into a couple, there are two pieces of this Sony conversation that we're going to have. One feels very anti-developer and one feels extremely anti-consumer. And this is this is the crux of some of the biggest issues that we've seen coming out of Sony, especially since Jim Ryan took over. Yep. And we know there was a power struggle inside oh, Sony. Oh yeah, absolutely. And there had been for a number of years with yep. saw Sean, that saw Sean Layden's ouster. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's just, ugly. It's, it's been ugly. And, and I feel like this is the difference between having a platform head who is actively a gamer and a platform head who does not... Who's head of product, essentially. Yes. And that's what Jim Ryan is. He is not... He is not someone who plays games. No. He is not someone who you, engages to be clear, in the medium... Uh, in a way that consumers do. 
you don't have to be an expert player by any stretch of the imagination in order to work in this industry, even in order to lead a company. But it really does help that when you are passionate and engaged with what it is that you're selling, right? And Mm -hmm. what it is that your studios are making, you know, it's, I would find it very hard to hard as a person to work in any industry that I didn't feel attached to, mm-hmm. that I didn't have some passion for. And maybe this is also a generational divide. This is a very millennial oh, mood, yeah. right? This is a very millennial thing where it's like, it doesn't make sense to us because why would we work in an industry that we don't either A, we don't like, mm-hmm. or B, that we just see it as a nine to five. Yes. Oh, that, oh, hustle culture. Hustle culture coming to bite us in the butt. All right. Anyway, we could talk about hustle culture all day. So let's talk about Sony, right? So we don't have Sony financials yet, but we do want to talk about something that came up, what was it, last week? It was last week, yeah. Yeah. So Game Developer reported that as Sony moves toward its new PlayStation Plus tiered system, which we talked about a little bit. I we think. did. We, we covered it. And we're yeah. going to run through a refresher because understanding the different tiers is, is really important to this conversation. It is. So let me run through that real quickly. Um, and then we'll dive back into kind of the new information. Okay. All right. So just very quickly, there are three tiers. Yep. They are combining PlayStation Now, which is, the, which is their subscription service that they forgot about for a while. And you mean Play- the fact that they were first to market and squandered yes. it? Yes. That part. And PlayStation Plus. So... If you, the current PlayStation Plus, like all those benefits, the the two, the games that you get per month, the clouds, the cloud stuff, all yep. that fun stuff. The cloud stuff is really the stuff that you want to be paying for. Right. Because it's so Multiplayer. Helpful. Sure. Yep. So PlayStation Plus, like all that stuff is now going to be the bottom tier, which is called Essential. That's $60 per year. The middle tier, which is called Extra, also gives you subscription-based access to about 400 PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 games. That's $100 per year. And then the top tier premium includes streaming PS3 games and streaming and download PS1, PS2, and PSP games for $120 per year, effectively combining what we call PlayStation Plus now and what we call PlayStation Now. Right. So it, it appears as though the top tier will also give you access to these time limited game trials, which is going to present some serious challenges for developers Mm -hmm. and that will give you that will give subscribers two hours to play a full game so essentially think about how ea ran their runs their subscription services with the time with the time demos yeah so it's the same deal sure and that still puts some it's still weird right there needs to be architecture in place for that that's built into the software which knowing and knowing Sony, they're not going to help developers at all with that. They'll just be like, okay, you want to be a part of this? Here you go. Well, it's more than that, apparently. It's not just do you want to be a part of this. You must be a part of this? Well, according to game developers' multiple sources, Sony is preparing to require that any developer whose game has a wholesale price of $34 or more, they must include that free game trial. Now, so that's Sony offering a benefit to their subscribers at the highest tier. And unless they change their structure, which is passing some of that revenue on to developers or defraying the cost of implementing this new technology, this new feature, because there's no such thing as a free feature. No. Right? Everything you build into works. a piece of software has cost. Yes. I, okay. 
So we don't normally, so let's talk about wholesale for a quick yeah. second. Because we don't normally talk about wholesale with regards to digital sales. It's not a term that you typically associate with digital sales. That it's is usually only it's retail. Product. It's, it's physical product. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the reason why we don't talk about that in terms of digital sales is that uh, that's not how platform fees work. Because if you think about the difference between wholesale and retail, it's the markup, as it were. Yeah, for sure. So when you're talking about digital, that's not the case. Instead, you're pricing something and then whatever it's priced at, it's the 30% that comes off that goes to the platform holder. Oof. So it's not a markup yeah. off of wholesale to get no. to that digital retail cost. It works. It's subtractive, not added, not, not additive. Yeah. And that's wild to me. Yep. So that's why, so that's why this word wholesale is throwing everybody off right now. Right. So you did a little bit of research. I did some research. So what did you end up finding out? Okay. So talk to a couple of folks in the industry to confirm what I suspected. So if we're talking about a $34 retail wholesale or a, a physical wholesale price, mm -hmm. that will typically equate to somewhere in the neighborhood of $49.99 retail price. So what that essentially that's means a, is that's a mid that's a mid tier game. That's any mid tier game. So remember, now we have your top tier pricing at sixty nine ninety nine. Your average full price game, your regular full price game, is fifty nine ninety nine, and then you have mid tier, mid tier, which is could be anywhere thirty nine ninety nine to forty nine ninety nine. Exactly. Right? If you're pricing at forty nine ninety nine, it seems, and again, we don't have confirmation exactly how this calcs out. Well, yeah, because Sony didn't respond to game developer. Right. But the people I talk to, they know their shit. And this is what I suspect. And I said, all right, tell me if I'm crazy here. And they said, well, yeah, it could be X to Y. But given where that number is and how specific that number is, they are targeting a retail price point, right? You don't say $34 wholesale unless you know exactly what that's going to calc out to on the retail side. I just I don't understand why they would why they would talk about it in terms of wholesale. It's just it just doesn't make any sense. Probably to me. because of discounting. I guess. So So let's let's talk about why this is a problem yes. for game developers yes. though. Because this is this is in the absence of Sony changing its fee structure. Right. So again, right now, Sony takes a licensing fee on every Digital, we talk about digital because it's easy to calc that out at 30%, right? right? Yeah, so it's but, it's 30% off the top. Right, but there's licensing fees that also happen on the retail side. Oh my gosh. So wholesales, wholesale retail is a funny thing. So if Sony isn't helping out by providing tools, funding, a adjusted revenue share... This is going to create a number of problems when it comes to pricing... Mm -hmm. Especially, especially for mid-tier and indie developers, like triple I indie developers. I think we're gonna see $44.99 become a way a way more common price point if this is fact. If this correctly. is if this is actual for realsies. Yeah. Man, that is that's people are gonna look to dodge it. Well, of course, why wouldn't they? Yeah. Like, it just makes good sense. If Sony's not going to provide the support that's necessary... Or, or share the revenue from, from the upsell to that $120 a year tier... Then it's not worth it. The investment in that is not going to be worth it because you're not going to see... Like, you're, you're not going to see any... 
return on investment. It just now, doesn't make any the sense. The flip side of this is I can see Sony turning around and saying, okay, well, if you price it $44.99 instead of, let's say, $49.99, right? Uh huh. We're not going to feature you. Yeah. Or they, you're not going to show up in they, this very important. They are petty yeah. right now. I'm really hoping that at some point in the future, we will not have to have these conversations that leadership will change and make better choices for developers. But wait, it's not just developers that are getting the getting the screws put to them. Mm-hmm. It's also consumers. So Sony also slammed the brakes on the new, on subscription stacking, which is a problem. Yeah. In advance of the new PlayStation Plus you rollout. You want to explain what subscription stacking is in case it's not clear. So subscription stacking is like you go out and you buy a bunch of subscription cards and you stack as much time as humanly possible for your subscription at a fixed at a fixed rate. So so if, Mike and I did that with Game Pass. Game Pass Ultimate, yeah. With Game Pass Ultimate. Um, went back when the price was really low, so we just bought a bunch of time. And it was it was really, really helpful. Yeah, do it again, bop, bop, bop. It, I mean, I use Game Pass literally like two or three times a week. Yeah. Like, I love Game Pass. And, and just to be clear, Microsoft, when they did this, when they introduced Game Pass Ultimate, there were a couple things at play. There was the first, the get get three months for a dollar thing. Yep. Then there was the straight conversion from Xbox Live. Yep. And that right? was really smart. Their, their was. conversion from Xbox Live to Xbox Game Pass was really intelligent. Yep. And so it was, oh, you had 13 months of Xbox Live Gold left. All right, that's all going to convert to Game Pass Ultimate. Also, you had your dollar. Also, if you auto-renew, you get another month. Also, if you just go out and and buy Game Pass cards for right. a year, but we're it, just going to let you we're just going to let you stack them up to 36 months. Because what what Microsoft was concerned about was both retention and acquisition. Yep. It was really really important to them that they remain consumer friendly. Now, Sony on the other hand decided that before the new PlayStation Plus rolls out, you know, in the US it's going to be rolling out on June 13th, they have absolutely cut that off at the knees. And what that means is, if you were thinking about stacking that $60 PlayStation Now subscription that will convert mm-hmm. into the $120 PlayStation Plus premium subscription, you simply cannot do that. No. In fact, if you go to redeem those codes, they'll come back as invalid. And now, here's the even better part, because I saw this conversion chart online, mm-hmm. and I think my eyeballs temporarily fell out of my head well, trying to under... I'm glad you put them back in. I do you... love your eyes. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. I love your eyes. Oh, thank That's so you. pretty. It's just compliment o'clock right here. Um, but seriously, that conversion chart made me feel like I was trying to figure out whether or not I was buying a gold or a triple platinum version of a Ubisoft game. Yeah, it ain't good. <laughs> So just so you know, though, if you are holding those codes that you were planning on stacking, they will reactivate after June 13th. Yep. Or if your expir- if you your current subscription does happen to expire, like before June 13th, you will be able to use one of those codes. I just... But just one. I honestly... I, this is so bizarre. Also, the other thing they're doing before we jump into the chart... Do we have to jump into the chart? The chart's not. I'm going to give some, I want to give some examples. If you currently are a PlayStation Plus subscriber and a PlayStation Now subscriber, your new PlayStation, your new uh, subscription does not combine. They will not double them up. That's it will just really expire silly. whichever one is later. 
It's that's horrid. Not great friends. It's so cons- it's so mean to consumers. Right. So so Mike wants example. to walk us through. If you are if you get have a one month PlayStation Plus voucher, uh huh, it has four different values depending on your status when you redeem it. Okay, walk us through this, but also I'm just, if my my eyeballs fall out of my head again, we'll have to put them back in. All right, if you are not a subscriber, if you are coming in brand new and you just want, I have a, I got a month of PlayStation Plus, mm-hmm. you will get 31 days of PlayStation Plus Essential. Okay. If you are already, if you converted over to Essential already and you redeem that thing, you get the same 31 days of PlayStation Plus Essential. Uh, okay. But if you're the on the extra tier, which is the $100 a year tier... Uh-huh. You only get 20 days of PlayStation Plus Extra for your one-month PlayStation Plus code. Why? And if you're a premium member, you get 17 days of PlayStation Plus Premium for your for your one-month code. There are six different groupings on this obtuse chart, and I'm telling you, we look you look at this, and I had it's these conversations. Well, I had these conversations with, with other people in the industry. And the general consensus here is if you look at this, this is a window into an organization having a lot of internal strife about subscriptions. Clearly. This is a fight between people who are like, no, we need to take care of our customers. And I believe that there are those people oh, inside Sony. Are. I know some of them. Yeah, of course there are. And the and the and on the other side is that people who are looking to nickel and dime. It's a draconian way of doing business. Or just hate subscriptions in general and are doing it because Microsoft has been so successful and they are seeing that they're getting left behind. Well, it's a draconian approach to business. Period. Yep. This is this is the problem with being a reaction with reacting to business, right? When you react, you do not strike out from a place of strength. You're simply reacting to what is going on in the marketplace. A- absolutely. But you look at this and this is something where you had It's two, a nightmare. Yeah, you had two sides of a debate sitting in a conference room and finally someone said, "Well, what if we work out a calculation?" and they wrote it up on the whiteboard and someone transcribed <laughs> Let's it. Let's go to the whiteboard. This is exactly what it is. And then said, "All right, print it." And nobody no. in comms, this is the problem. Nobody in comms at the head of, of at the head of comms looked at this and no. said no. Or I would have said they're so on the much side, no. they're, or they're on the side of yeah, let's just let's just do it that way. We we have a compromise that's good enough. Because you look at this chart, and this is the most anti-consumer chart that I have ever seen. It's so distressing. They they didn't even lay it out in a beautiful way. No, it's like ugly. at least if you're gonna smack someone, at least let it be a velvet glove. Yeah. And not something that's like iron and studded and mean. I mean, not to kink shame if you're into that, but still, like a light touch. But you don't put out a chart like this. You don't without... release that chart. No, you have lost sight of stewarding your brand. Exactly. And brand stewardship is is a part of what Sony does not seem to have much interest in anymore. And yep. that was not always the case. Sony was not always like this. They were not so entrenched. Mm -hmm. And they cannot, they've become, you know, they were never particularly nimble, but they've become like the worst version of the 800 pound gorilla. Yeah. And you cannot, you cannot seem to get it to do anything other than just be the same. Yeah. I'm, it's really distressing. It's really distressing. And I just look at this. And I wonder, what are you doing? You, your motto is for the players. 
And how you are is this nickel- for the players? Well, it's a motto. So, someone said this. It's a motto, not a belief system. It is and a it, market. It, it is mar- it is a marketing tagline, not a belief system. Because if you philosophical believe, differences, yep, if you are trying to take care of the players, if you are doing you don't something, do it like this. You don't nickel and dime over two weeks. No. Two weeks. You want people to be excited about your program and you're nickel and diming them over, over you should be, you 13, should, 14 days. No, it's ridiculous. Come I, on. This is a this huge is, misstep. And honestly, it's, the it's entire thing has just been misstep that. after misstep. It's not even just that. It's not even just a misstep just in terms of optics. There is going to be consumer bleed oh, yeah. as a result. I mean, like, I haven't subscribed to PlayStation Plus in, like, reliably for years, mm-hmm. mainly because I now live in the United States and my subscription has to be Canadian and you cannot buy Canadian subscriptions here and everything has to be on a Canadian credit card, which I no longer have. It's very messy. Also, you can change your region on an Xbox relatively simply. And apparently, this was happening when it Mitch... Works. Yeah, when Mitch moved back to Canada, this was a problem that he ran into. Yeah, it's it's really frustrating. Yeah. So anyway, my, my point is, is that... You're going to have consumer bleed and churn. If you don't take care of your players, they will go somewhere else. Brand loyalty is something that is earned, not bought. Tell me, how is this any different than the smart delivery debate? This is no different. This, This comes down again. We keep, we've been saying this for two years those deep philosophical differences between Sony and Microsoft and the way that they view their customer base is it's a astou- it's astoundingly opposite. They mm-hmm. are polar opposites. Microsoft values their consumer or at the very least they make the consumer feel like that they are valued. Again, corporate strategy and consumer sentiment are aligned. Corporate strategy over at Sony seems to be you know, chasing its own tail and trying to see if they can bite it. And when they finally bite it, it's actually the consumer. Yeah. I don't know. This is one time where I don't think fuck you pay me works, but. You know, I feel like we could probably talk about this all day and just be cranky about it. Yeah. I have high hopes for, for Sony's plans because I know some of the people involved. But this is not making a good first impression. It's really not. It's it's a real cha- it's going to be a real challenge for them to hang on to any acquisitions that they have been making as of late. User acquisitions. Yeah, user okay. acquisitions as of late. Sorry. I'm think I I keep thinking about this in terms of consumer and users and thank you for clarifying for me. Only cuz cuz of what we're about to talk about. Right, because because it is almost time to talk about shocking news. But first, a break. Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we are back. Normally, we don't take a break before investment interlude, but we figure this is going to be meaty. This is the deep breath before the plunge. Gross. What? Into the cold water. That's what I said. I'm Canadian. I used to do polar, like polar bear okay. dips. I just didn't know if you thought I was talking about something else. Michael, no, I was not. Well, why did you say gross? Because I don't want to be in cold water right now. I wasn't now. talking about plunging into a butt. <sighs> 
this is what we get for going to see everything everywhere all at once last night. <laughs> and if you don't, if you haven't seen it yet, no, we're not going to explain that. No, we are absolutely not going to explain that, but you can add us on Twitter and we will tell you all about why we think that that movie is perfect. Yes. Anyway, it is time for investment interlude. Oh, we're going to talk about some, some mergers and acquisitions. No SPACs today, but oh boy, we're talking about acquisitions. Oh, goodness gracious, we are ever talking about acquisitions. All right, the biggest news of this week, and aren't you glad that we held our episode until today? Yeah, so so hopefully this is the biggest news of the week because it is only actually Monday in real time, not virtual economy time. I don't know. <laughs> virtual economy time is all weeks or every week. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So let's talk about Square Enix's decision to sell off its Western Studios to... Embracer Group for $300 million. And we do have some listener questions that we will fold into this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So this is an this is a cash-free, debt-free deal. So the cash-free, debt-free deal means that they are not taking on any of the debt. Correct. They're yeah. not taking on any of these studios' right. debts. That's the debt-free part. The cash-free yeah. part means that any of this money that was on the studio balance sheets stays with reserve, Square Enix. Stays with Square Enix. Yeah. So essentially, it's a clean break between uh, between Square Enix and the three studios and more. But we'll get there. Okay. So before we actually get into the financial details of it, let's sure. actually talk about which studios are going to be involved in this in this acquisition that Embracer has made. Right. So this is the three Western wholly owned studios comprising eight locations. So they are going, so Square Enix is going to be selling Crystal Dynamics, mm -hmm. which is responsible for Tomb Raider and Marvel's Avengers. Yep. Eidos Montreal, which did the most recent Deus Ex games, the two of them, uh, and the mobile games. Yeah. And the mobile games. Yeah. Uh, well, and one of the mobile games. Because there was Deus Ex Go that was... Uh. Ah. Uh, and Eidos Montreal just came off of strong success with Guardians of the Galaxy. And they are also selling Square Enix Montreal, which is their mobile studio, which, mm -hmm. you know, if you have been, if you've been in attendance at any of the next levels that I have hosted, you'll know that Square Enix Montreal is one of the partners. Yes. And they are responsible for titles like Hitman Go!, Deus Ex Go, and Lara Croft Go. Yep, as well as Hitman Sniper. As well as Hitman Sniper. Yep. So those are the studios that are involved in this. So Mike, walk us through some of the financial details here. Sure. So Embracer Group is coughing up $300 million in cash. And don't worry, we're going to talk about that number. Because whoa, is that number low. It's it's definitely... We'll get there, but we'll get there. I we have thoughts. Uh, it will be paid in full at closing. So there's no... There's no shares. There's no nothing. It, this is a cash deal. Embracer is taking no short-term debt associated with the deal. However, they did secure a new $4 billion SEC, which is exactly how Lars referred to it on the webcast, SEC. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we know, okay. Uh, 400, so it's $405.3 million. That's a new uh, line of credit. And in extending their existing $6 billion SEC, that's $607.9 million loan, to free the cash up for the deal. That's also, that's their war chest right now. Oof, that's a big war and chest. And they have no, no short-term debt that's coming due before 2023. So when's the deal expected to close? Next this, quarter. Really? July to September 2022. That fast. All cash. I mean. I mean, there's not, 
really a whole and lot it's of regulatory a clean break. stuff. The the only issues here, well, we'll talk about it. Where, where some of the issues might be. So Embracer is going to be increasing its headcount by eleven hundred employees at those studios. That will take them over fourteen thousand. They are holy. We smokes. knew they were big, right? And we had said, all right, they're bigger than EA. They're bigger than Activision, but they are titanic at this point. Fourteen thousand. So. Just a quick aside here. I know that the, you know we're not necessarily going to talk about this too too much, but at what point does Embracer get too big to fail? I don't. <sighs> this is some of the this is some of the challenges that I've been having that I've been personally having around the conversation about consolidation. Okay. At what yeah. point do we have? And obviously, we're never we're never going to get to the point in the game industry around like investment banks and stuff like that that we had to deal with back during the finan- big financial crisis and recession that happened in two thousand eight and two thousand and nine that we're still feeling the ripples of. Mm-hmm. But I worry that as these these large umbrella group kinds of or these uh, these large umbrella corporations we are going to end up at a point where they are enormous and it, that's unusual for the game industry. Sure, it is. And this is part of the this whole shift towards consolidation, as you mentioned. Let me ask you a question so that I can better answer your question. Sure. What do you mean by fail? When you say too big to fail, what is your definition of failure here? Is it complete failure where the company goes out of business or are we talking about Little, like smaller failures. I don't care about smaller failures necessarily. I'm talking about a big failure of what happens to 14,000 people if the wind changes. So here's my answer to that question. We look at Activision. And what have we seen out of Activision? We've seen user attrition. Mm -hmm. We've seen stock tumble. Sure. And we also saw an enormous round of layoffs three years ago that clearly didn't bolster the company. Right. But the layoffs weren't about bolstering the company. They were about elevating the share price. Oh, I know. I remember. They were about creating a more unified structure that simply has not worked at the company. And what happened? They got bought up. One of the hugest publishers is getting purchased. Sure. Absolutely. But as Embracer gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, there's no way for one single. And I mean, like, I, it'll be a THQ. Okay. It'll be a THQ problem. Okay, I guess. so the THQ problem, THQ was significantly smaller. Of they course, were, yes. They were the smallest of the. They were one of the smallest of the AAA companies. The issue with AAA, triple, or with THQ rather, is THQ had its eggs in a couple of very time sensitive baskets. Right? They were heavily into kids licensed games. I remember, which yeah. was doing well, but the shine was really starting to wear off that market mm-hmm. at this point. Well, yeah, because kids were getting older, and we weren't seeing younger children being brought into it because parents were now starting to take a look at what their kids were playing, mm-hmm. and they didn't want their kids on screens all that much anymore. Yeah, we hit this point where it was that inflection the kids, who, point. the kids who played those games weren't old enough to have kids of their own and the parents who were starting to have kids maybe they were my age and that meant that you had some kids who really were into video games growing up and others who simply weren't it wasn't nearly as ubiquitous so yeah i think you're right i think that is exactly why the shine wore off but they they bet that all on the you draw tablet and they went too far in. And again, we've seen peripherals sink companies. Sure. But I and think I, the I, issue... I don't think that Lars would make the same kinds Mm-mm. of decisions because he uh, he is such a shrewd business... He has such a shrewd business mind. 
The reason why I was asking this question is because these numbers are now starting to like they're they're enormous. Okay. And the amount of studios that they own is enormous. Okay, Their access so to IP out. is now enormous. Well, and, and here's the thing, and let's game that out. Because sure. I want to pull into a pull in a question also that Kat asked today mm-hmm. when we were in the Discord and said, hey, if you guys have any questions, you know, now's the time. So what Kat said was, I'd like to know what the corpse speak is for, quote, a bunch of companies working together independently, as that just feels like a loosely managed corporation. Now Embracer Group, and I think this is why they're huge, but I don't think they're in that that risk area that THQ was or even that Activision was because of the way they've structured themselves. They have, is it 10 business units now? I think it's After 10, the Asmodee yeah. and the Dark and the Dark Horse purchases? Yeah, or was so. it eight? Was it did that bring them to eight or did were they add eight and that brought them to ten? Regardless, they're at eight to ten business units right now. It's it's a large number of business units. And each of those business units. Dark Horse is a fully fleshed out company that is now operating as its own business unit under Embracer. Asmodee is the largest board game publisher in the entire world operating as a business unit okay. under Embracer. So before we before we like really go down the rabbit hole here, mm-hmm. what is the significance of it like for our listeners? Sure. What is the significance of Embracer having discrete business units as opposed to just like studios or well, companies? So one of the things, so this is this is a real I'm glad you asked that because I think this really hits at the core of Kat's question, is that it's about how you structure it. And the reason that it is so smart that they're structured like that is because there are firewalls in place. There are failure firewalls. Yeah, but Activision Blizzard used to have failure firewalls. And they purposely too. broke them down three years ago. I know. And that's but they were part also of- a single company. They were also a single there were three business units, right? Activision, publishing, Blizzard, and King. And King. Yeah. And which is why when we talked about Activision, King continues to do well because King still is relatively siloed. Well, it has to be because King is operates solely on a mobile on a mobile platform and their strategy. Remember every time that we talk about mobile, since that's my beat, mobile has a completely different way of operating than console and PC development. And they have different users. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to just use an example. So this is not some, anything that I think possible. Let's say coffee stain blows it. They're going great, and suddenly they make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. They replace leadership. They can't make it work, and Coffee Stain gets shut down. That failure is siloed. Now, does that mean it doesn't have huge impact? Of course it has huge impact. But none of that should touch Gearbox or Saber or um, Amplifier Game Invest or Asmodee or Dark Horse or... Any of the other business units, because you're essentially, you have arms and legs, right? One of them gets cut off. The rest of the business, uh, what, you don't like this analogy? (laughs) Just lop it off. It it went bad, so I cut it off. (laughs) I was waiting. I was waiting. I was looking at him. It's an evil dead joke, folks. I'm like, will he get it? Will he get it just based on the way I'm looking at him? Oh, yeah. And he understood. 
So what you have here, and this is this is old school mega corporation organization here. Like Embracer's not doing anything revolutionary. With no, the no, way they've certainly organized. not. They are just big enough, and because they've been an acqui- their growth has been. They've had organic growth, but so much of their growth has been tied to acquisitions. What they've been doing is they've been playing a very smart game of Tetris and factoring in, and this is was very telling today, by the way, in the press releases, we have no idea where those three studios are going to live. Now, we suspect that the mobile, that Square Enix Montreal is going to go live with the rest of the mobile studios, which means we have no idea where Eidos Montreal or Crystal Dynamics are going to live in the greater embracer hierarchy. They could be under Gearbox. They could be under Saber. They could be somewhere else within the structure. They could, in theory, even be under Coffee Stain. They could. Or, and this is the thing, now you might have heard me talk about this in the past, Square Enix and Coke Media, Koch Media, (laughs) at Gamescom, they shared a booth. They were very close because Coke was the distributor for all of Square Enix's games throughout Europe. So they had a very tight relationship. Would it so surprise it could... me for Crystal and uh, and Eidos Montreal to get grouped under Coke Media? No, it... not at all. Not at all. That w- that seems like a very natural fit. But more than likely, they will still stay in the same discrete business unit. Together? Together. Yes, because that's the thing is they've worked together. They've... So Shadow of the Tomb Raider was actually led by Eidos Montreal after the Tomb Raider reboot and Rise were at Crystal. Right. They've done a lot of work together. It does not make sense to split them up. Don't no, split the twins up. No, I get it. I totally understand. Well, yeah. that, that actually really does answer my question. Mm-hmm. I, I really, honestly, I, I get worried about those kinds of things, but I can also see, you know, how those discrete business units do have those firewalls in place. But I just wanted you to say it because I, it's living in my head and then you just pulled it out. So thank you so much. You're welcome. I think the other thing to say is like, if you, if you talk to me about Sega before the pandemic, I would say, oh, their diversification is brilliant. They're in arcades. They've got resorts. If anything happens to one of those, they're okay. Pandemic rolls around and resorts and, and their arcade and amusements. business. And amusements were, were an anchor around. They around were, they were their, now, their yeah, they were now a big loss that they were taking and huge risks. But what I like about what Embracer is doing, even though it does give me the heebie-jeebies that there is still so much consolidation going around the industry at large. We've talked about that on the show. We've talked Mm -hmm. about that in our trans piece. Like this is an area of concern that we are watching, but I do like that they are actually diversified Within media itself, right. with tabletop, with comic books, with, with distribution, with distribution, even even throughout, you know, they they have a full cycle for transmedia. It's mm-hmm. huge, and we're going to talk about transmedia a little bit. Okay, so I, one of the things that I really want to clear up for people because Square Enix has always been a strange beast. If you've not listened to our breakdown, uh, if you don't listen to our earnings episodes, you might not have heard us talk about this. Square Enix, up until very recently. And I'm even talking about, we had heard this prior to this announcement. Square Enix used to be very siloed between its Eastern operations and its Western operations. That's correct. They have, I mean, it's not uncommon for Japanese companies, especially to have That's normal. multiple operating units in yeah. the West. NCSoft was like, like Asian mm-hmm. companies just oh, in yeah. general, like yeah. moving into the West. Like NCSoft had that. Tencent has it. Tencent has it. Absolutely. It's just, it's like a normal thing. But this difference was you had full publishing support for the West and full publishing support for the East. Yeah. They they use different PR agencies. 
They had different staff and that started to change. Now, we don't know what's going to happen, um, although we can start to make some guesses based on some numbers that we have. Yeah. So that was what was really interesting about Square Enix and the way they were structured. Um, although it was kind of a problem as well. We'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> So, so they are also, they're not just getting a bunch of employees because right. this is where we kind of got off track because I'm sure. like, what if, what if, what yes. if, sorry, but also not sorry. Cause it was a great conversation. Um, they also got access to more than 50 different IPs yeah, from so the back catalog. So that's part of the deal. So, so just keep in mind here that $300 million now represents three studios in eight, lo- in eight locations, the pipelines for those studios the 1,100 employees, so that's a lot of Research talent, and development. R&D, and 50 IPs, including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief. And here's the one that came up over and over and over again in the press releases and on the webcast, making my little heart go aflutter. Legacy of Kane. And I, anybody who knows me um, knows how Us. much of a... Oh, I, I didn't realize. Are you a big Legacy of Kane fan? Why, yes, I am. See, we're huge, huge Legacy of Kane fans. In fact, one of my, my favorite PlayStation 1 game is Soul Reaver. It was a great game. So, it was a great game. Uh, so so the fact that this was called out by name over and over and over again gives it's me It's just, mmm, mmm. Yeah. Mm. So uh, here's, let's talk a little bit about the, about the money. Uh, so what... Lars Wingeforce said, he's the CEO of Embracer Group. Money. Yeah. The best case is we're looking at for the next two fiscal years, break even or small profit largely on the back of catalog. Okay. This isn't a surprise. Uh, Guardians just came out and Avengers is still active. So those are the two major titles going on at both of the AAA studios. And then mobile, I don't know what Square Enix Montreal is working on right now. Um... That's a good question. They recently, they did a lot of stuff around um, a big anniversary of like 10 years of Square Enix Montreal. Mm. So I think that there was a, there was an announcement tied to that, but for the life of me, I can't remember what the heck it is. Okay. So my big question here is, does Embracer have the appetite for big ticket licensing? We know they'll do some some licensing, like they've, they've done SpongeBob and stuff like that, right? And they're doing new SpongeBob, game, SpongeBob games. That's not huge licensing. No. The question is, like, they need to go through some approvals on their end to transfer the licenses sure. with the studios. Yeah. So Marvel has to approve that stuff. Assuming Marvel approves that and whatever the Avengers roadmap is continues. And we know that... that uh, the Mighty Thor, so right. uh, Jane Foster, is the next character. We we are we don't know how much light how much runway is left on that roadmap, but Guardians of the Galaxy is ripe for a sequel. People really loved the story of that game. They loved the cast. They loved. I would say the action was probably the the softest part of the game. I would tend to agree. I I enjoy the gameplay. I do, but it's not nearly as interesting to me as the voice acting as the relationship development, as mm-hmm. the character development, and as the story. And it is, and I played the entire thing, it is the best comic book story I think I've played in video game form. And, and, and I really liked cool. Marvel Avengers campaign. Oh, I loved it. Like, we had a great time playing Avengers back when, you know, when it was brand new and when it was fresh. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not to completely disparage it, but, like, we're, we're missing out on the really big 
portion of this conversation. Can we talk about transmedia yet or do we have to wait? We have to wait a little bit. Okay. Um, so they said there is over the next two years a chance for larger returns if there's a platform deal. I assume they mean like Game Pass or PlayStation Plus. Okay. Now. Now Plus. Now Plus. Now Plus. Now Plus Plus. Uh, however, once the pipeline matures, Embracer is expecting 500 million sec contribution and operational uh, EBIT earnings before interest and taxes. Okay. About $50,000 a year. So this is about long-term This growth. is a long-term play. This is not short-term money. Now, this is this is really interesting to me. Uh, Square Enix America and Europe CEO Phil Rogers is joining Embracer at the close of the deal. Interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Mm-hmm. So then they ran through the slides and they had the studio heads uh, talking about. So Scott Amos uh, stepped up from, from Crystal Dynamics. Their slide featured Legacy of Kane. Love that. Tomb Raider and Love Rise that. of the Tomb Raider did not include Avengers, interestingly enough. <sighs> they currently have 273 employees. Tomb Raider has sold 88 million units across the franchise life Ooh. from the very beginning. 38 million units of the reboot trilogy sold. These, this is not a failed franchise. What's not and a failed franchise? Tomb Raider. Of course it's not a failed franchise. Well, the way Square Enix, and this comes back to the conversation about Square Enix West and Square Enix East. Square Enix has typically put unreasonable expectations on, 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 its, West. Western, on yeah. its Western development that it does not even hold its, its Eastern development to Mm-mm. and then throws them under the bus they, it's like well you underperformed would, they would never have invested in a realm reborn had it been a western no. studio no and quite well, i'm not gonna say anything about no. That. no it's i mean but it's true though there there's there's a there was that it was never it never came across as animosity but it seemed like a real reluctance to invest in western studios in the same capacity yeah and i think even the stuff that's been done to avengers has been great. I think Crystal has really taken player feedback to heart, but I have to question the game as a service model that was shoehorned into that game and the oh, microtransaction gosh. model that was shoehorned. I don't into even want to talk about that. And and how much that was at corporate behest. So uh, we know there's a new Tomb Raider game in the works. Woo! Not surprising there. Uh, Crystal Dynamics will continue to partner with the initiative on the upcoming Perfect Dark game. Big wins. For me personally. Yeah. Because I love Perfect Dark and I love Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. So for Eidos Montreal, they were talking about Thief, Deus Ex Human Revolution, and Mankind Divided, and Shadow of the Tomb Raider. They got mm-hmm. they have 581 employees. So Eidos has multiple Unreal Engine 5 projects in development. And ta- they talked a little bit about how the Deus Ex reboots um, have sold, you know, just over 12 million units. Yep. Uh, and then Square Enix Montreal talked about, of course, the Go games, Hitman Go, Lara Croft Go. Uh, Lara Croft Go was the mobile game of the year in 2015. Oh, it was a great game. Yep. Deus Ex Go, Hitman Sniper. They have 160 employees. They've said they fully transitioned to free to play yeah. due to the market, which is not a surprise. They have mm-hmm. a hard time selling premium games overseas. It's, it's difficult. Um, even, even here, it can be really difficult mm-hmm. because of the consumer perception. That's why Apple Arcade has been you know, has seen relative amounts of success as a result. It's like, that's the way that you can sell premium games on mobile. Mm-hmm. But again, I could talk about that all day. Yep. So studio employees. I, I added all three of them up. Overall. So is, I guess, 1,014 out of a total 1,100. That's, yeah. So there are, and if we add Phil 
Rogers to that. That's that brings it to ten fifteen. So there are eighty five other employees or so that are coming over. We do not know who is coming over from publishing. From publishing, yeah. Hopefully, so, hopefully a a bunch of folks are either going to get brilliant severance packages that are going to help them and their families as they figure out what the transition is going to be to the next mm-hmm. part of it. But seriously, this is the, this is the part that's really difficult. And it's a you know Mike tweeted about this earlier today. This is the part of the story that doesn't de- get to, tend to get told, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the human cost yes. involved. And this is this is what makes it so important to recognize not everybody's going over. Yeah. And, and this is a case where because it's Embracer and because they have done a really good job of keeping studios together, they don't lay mm-hmm. people off. If you were an employee at one of these studios, you're fine. Probably. You're probably you probably today you were told, good news, we get to keep doing what we're doing. We just have a new, we're just going to be working for a new company come next quarter. Yeah. If you're in publishing in the West, especially recently when they just broke the barriers down. Yeah. And and there are people we know there who, who we really care about. And, and this one is tough. And look, I, I have done, we both worked with Square Enix. I have done a lot of work with Square Enix. I've done a little. And, you know, I have friends there, even from before when I was working on the consulting side with, with folks at Square Enix. These are yeah. people I've known for a many years. Now. Yeah. yeah. These are these are folks that I've known for yeah, the better part of a decade, I guess, for yeah. me too. So um, now that conversation you wanted to have. So yeah, Lars Winchforce did spend some time talking about transmedia. Right. Um they he did mention Dark Horse and Very Asmodee. Important. Very he important. mentioned Coke Media, uh, and of course Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider is huge. It is it is absolutely ripe. And I'm not I do not want to see another Tomb Raider movie. I never want to see a Tomb Raider movie ever again. I want to see a Tomb Raider television show. Oh, okay. And I would love to see... No, not on the CW. Oh my gosh, no. And you know what? I love CW. I do. Despite all of its nonsense, I'm a lifelong gossip girl stan. So, no, I'm thinking like it would be really great to have a much more mature telling of Lara's stories because there have been so many different ways that the stories have been approached over the years. And now this is coming from my perspective of a person that has played Tomb Raider games since I was nine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I was I was a kid when I started playing Tomb Raider. So if you're hearing the tapping in the background, it means our dog found us. Yes. Um, so I think that I think that there's there's a lot to love here. I think that the relationship between these studios and being able to tap Dark Horse for comics and they've mm-hmm. they've got the ability to distribute great and they, you know, Embracer loves its collector's editions. Yeah. And they are they get radder every every time. And they, I swear. They, they they do not they they're not shy about the three hundred dollar collection. No, they edition. they're just like, no, you want this, you want this, you want this? Very yeah. limited. Very yeah. limited. Get it. Do it. Um, but yeah, so they've got Dark Horse, they've got Asmodee. Like if you wanted to adapt something like the Go games into board games, you could mm. actually do that. The Go games actually would work quite well yep. um, as board game equivalents. Mm. And with the board game market continuing to grow, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to continue seeing that seeing that um, expand. Absolutely. So anyway, I could talk about, again, I could talk about transmedia literally all day. Absolutely. All right. So obviously the big the big elephant in the room is that three hundred million dollar number. Now, yeah, um, was it Alex Perry that tweeted 
today that the Tomb Raider movie, the last one, made like two hundred seventy something million dollars. It's it's wild to me. This this number, this number is really challenging. Yeah, it's really challenging. So Greg asked a really good question. What are the factors in those studios being valued at three hundred million dollars? Now I have seen different takes. I saw Matt Piscatella tweet that he thought the number was fair. Um, I don't, I'm not fully aligned with Matt on this one. I think that number is We're normally aligned with Matt, but I really do think that this is about $200 million too low. Yeah. I, I I think this is part, partially Square Enix undervaluing what it already had. The other thing is they really wanted, they clearly wanted to sell. Oh, it was absolutely clear. Looking at it with hindsight, oh yeah, we can see all of the pieces as they started s- slotting into place. Now, don't get us wrong; like, don't get it twisted. Mike and I were completely caught off guard by oh, this. Yeah. Dom was caught off guard by it. Like everybody that works in analysis, Dan was caught off guard to Dan Amon. Yeah, exactly. Like we were all caught off guard about this because no one heard a whiff of it. Like yeah. this is this was kept extremely on the down low. No leaks, no nothing, and. We so looking at this with hindsight vision, yeah, we can say that oh yeah, I guess based on all these decisions. Well, markers, and again, there was stuff that we heard at GDC, which suddenly makes a lot more sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what are the factors? So I think part of the part of the things you have to look at when you're talking about a studio purchase is you're looking at past success, you're looking at pipeline, and you're looking at timing, and. Past success, if Square Enix is walking to the bargaining table, obviously trying to offload, and they have vocally, they've been very vocal about failures, that put oh, them in a been, bad negotiating situation. No, they've been very vocal about the the Western Studios failures. That's what I meant. That's yeah. what I meant. So, so I think that's that's a big piece of the puzzle there. But the other piece is Avengers is still active, is still being actively serviced. Mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy just came out, which means the next game from these studios is down the road a couple of years. So that makes it tough. When you looked at the THQ bankruptcy, the reason why Vigil Games, oh, which Vigil. made Darksiders, and Darksiders 2 did not get picked up, they had just released Darksiders 2. Hi, Rex. Our dog just joined us. Special guest on the podcast was Siri today. <laughs> Damn Siri. All right, lay down, bud. You're going to be on the podcast. You got to lay down. Oh, he's going to be right near the microphone so that he can bark right in the microphone when he hears somebody come in the door. Okay, you got to lay down. Lay down. There. Okay. Good boy. He's he's literally, he's he's here. He's right in front of the microphone. It's the funniest thing. (laughs) I'm actually going to take a picture of this. That's real good. All right. So. Now he's licking his butt. So. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, this was, that was the shocking factor with. You know, Stadia picking up, ah, uh, shoot, what was... Oh, uh, it was uh, during the... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so picking up that studio, even though they had literally just launched their game, you know, and yes, there are studios that are multiple project studios, even indie studios operate this way from time to time, but it's not normally what happens it's usually unless you're enormous you are a single project studio Mm -hmm. so and you can have multiple ideas baking and prototyping potentially but you're not like actively devoting resources to anything that isn't you know greenlit for publishing and launch yeah so i think that's part of i think that's part of it i think yeah 
The two issues for me here is Square Enix negative self-talking the number down. I think that they they opened the door here. Did to, they think they were negging instead? Uh, no, <laughs> I think they just. Oh, I, I think that they just they painted themselves into a corner, and made it a very difficult bargaining proposition. But I also think they truly believe that these studios are underperforming, and it's they're this, being underutilized. They are, and I think this was something that came out in the annual report, which was, oh, we need to align the right business model with the right studio. It's like, yeah, you really messed up with Avengers in terms of. You know, it was putting, not the right studio. It was not the it was not the right studio for games as a service game. I, th- I think the the other thing here um, is just it's going to be a while before, and and this is something that Lars Winchforce said today. It's going to be a while before we see much more than break even from this acquisition. I think that being upfront about that was a really smart way to get investors to cool potentially cool their heels. Right, but here's the other thing: if they had sold for much more, I think they would have. I, I think Embracer would have had to walk away because I don't see Lars Winchforce saying, yeah, we bought these studios and we're going to be taking a loss on them for two years. That's tough. Yep. That's a tough thing to sell to your investors. Now, here's the thing. We know that WB has been shopping around its video game studios. Hal Imran, con over uh, at Fanbyte, said that he was trying to turn it, you know, trying to get a story together, but he wasn't able to pull everything together. But he's been hearing whispers that they're starting up that push again. Now that the Warner Discovery thing is is finalized and, and... rolling um they shut down cnn plus so they're looking to offload oh man poor cnn yeah plus. that didn't last that lasted that lasted mere weeks you know what as a, as like a little note if you are interested in understanding why cnn plus went under as quickly as it did go and listen to downstream um julia alexander and jason i can't remember his last name right now but they do an excellent job of they do what we do but for streaming services Yep. And it's fascinating. It's really, a, it's a stellar podcast. In fact, one of these days we are going to have Julia come on here and talk to us about Netflix and games. Yes. So, um, I think if you look at this, so Square Enix was able to offload 50 IPs. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers, if they sell those studios, with the exception of maybe Mortal Kombat. What do they right? have? They're, they're all licensed. Like, there's so many licensed games. You've got Lord of the Rings games. You've got Batman games. You've got Harry Potter games. But those are all licensed. Those, those licenses are not going to necessarily those licenses go with wouldn't them. go with the studios, which is why Warner Brothers is having such a hard time selling. And I think this deal just made Warner Brothers' life even harder. Even harder. Yeah. Um, the last thing we want to talk about, obviously we've been talking about a lot, talking about this a lot from the Embracer perspective. We want to pull in the Square Enix perspective. They issued a press release as well today. And in it, it said, quote, the transaction will assist the company in adapting to the changes underway in the global business environment by establishing a more efficient allocation of resources, which will enhance corporate value by accelerating growth in the company's core businesses and the digital entertainment domain. In addition, and this is the one that's sticking in everybody's craw, the transaction enables the launch of new businesses by moving forward with investments in fields, including blockchain, AI, and the cloud. I am actually of the opinion that we keep seeing Square Enix talk about blockchain just to so that investors don't ask about it. I legitimately cannot have I, I can't imagine they're going to turn around and spend $300 million on blockchain games when there hasn't been a single successful 
triple A and PC blockchain game. It's well, it's the if you're not Niantic, exactly, you really have no business being like our our games on the blockchain. And yep. like Niantic never talks about that with Pokemon Go. No, because it's because a boring it's not, story. It's because tech. it's it's tech. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. It's how the game is run. The most important thing about Pokemon Go is that it's a great it's a great AR game. Yep. So anyway, Square Enix is also is still hanging on to Outriders. Life is strange. And just cause. And those are all done with external partners. Yeah, those Outriders are all publishing. Is people can fly. They don't own people can fly. Life is Strange is Deck Nine. They have a relationship with Deck Nine. They do they not do own, not own it. them. And Just Cause is Avalanche, is which of Avalanche. course they do not own. Yes. Well, that was quite the conversation. Like, I think we spent a good half hour talking well, about Square Enix. Go us. It was us. worth it, yeah. It was definitely worth it. So all right, two more investment stories. Let's continue. Behavior Interactive, which is located in my home country, has announced the opening of a second location, this time in Toronto. The company now employs more than 900 people in Montreal. The new Toronto location will house approximately 50 employees. Behavior says its 2021 revenues reached 225 million, and as we previously covered, Dead by Daylight now has more than 50 million players. All right, last investment story. We've got a bunch of Activision stuff to talk about. This one is in the investment section for a reason. Shareholders have voted on the Microsoft acquisition this week, approving the deal. Actually, it was last week now. Uh, additionally, that vote included a provision for Bobby Kotick to receive a $22 million bonus if the board <sighs> subcommittee deems he has fixed the organization's cultural problems. The issue here is that there's an apparent conflict of interest. Three oh, members, gee, I wonder what it is. Yeah, three members of the board make up a subcommittee including Ravita Bowers, who teaches at the Posh Center for Early Education, a private elementary school in L.A. Why is this a potential conflict? Bobby Kotick was on the school's board until 2020. Activision told Axios that Kotick quit the board to avoid conflicts like this, so we'll see. Yeah, Regardless, right. law firm Glass-Lewis, which is advising stockholders, has criticized the company's cultural reform objectives as, quote, nebulously communicated and points out the need for them at all is due to Kotick's failure as a chief executive. Agreed. The deal still has huge regulatory mountains to climb, of course, even though the shareholders have approved it, and it is supposed to be finalized sometime before mid-2023. Axios also got some additional information, this was really interesting, regarding the second shareholder vote. This vote was about the golden parachutes for Activision Blizzard execs that also passed, but by a much slimmer margin. And interestingly, 33% of votes cast were split. They were for the acquisition and against the golden parachutes. This will give executives who leave at or shortly after the acquisition a huge payday. So Kodak's going to go bye-bye. Well, I mean, Kodak's is, yeah. I, I Yeah. And I mean, we already knew this. <laughs> and honestly, this is a discussion that we will have some other time because it's, I, I'm too tired. I can't. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that was everything from investment. This is going to be hilarious. It's time for quick hits. Ooh. Truly beautiful. Why, thank you. It was gorgeous. All right. Sega has announced that it is delisting a number of Sonic games as it prepares to release a new collection. If you're interested in purchasing the unaltered versions of Sonic, Sonic 2, Sonic 3, and Knuckles, or Sonic CD, uh, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, sorry, or Sonic CD on Steam, Xbox, or PlayStation, you gotta pick them up before May 20th. And those were quick hits. It's literally, <laughs> literally very, quick very quick, very quick. Okay, so now we move on to our, oh. Oh, what did you have to say there, Rex? What? Rex burped. <laughs> it wasn't a burp, it was more of a grumble. 
He grumbled and then he burped. Lay down. Just lay down, you goober. Blah, 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 blah. Oh my God, dogs. All right, now it is time for the labor report. Keyword studios embedded at BioWare's Edmonton location are working towards unionization with the help of the United Food and Commercial Workers Canada Union. Yeah, I think that was supposed to say keyword studios employees embedded yeah. at. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So keyword studios people, people are doing this, not yeah. the keyword studios studio right. is doing this. Yes. The people are doing this and they're doing this under a very specific union in Canada. Yes. Um, employees interviewed by Kotaku shared that a forced return to the office on May 9th, poor pay and keywords policies around COVID was, you know, kind of the impetus they behind this. Driving the decision exactly. Now. So these policies do not compensate for paid time off due to a positive COVID test. And that's in opposition with Alberta's health guidelines, which is really interesting to me because Alberta has been a really challenging province for me to personally mm. watch because they're our neighbor and they often make like really silly decisions based on very like weird partisan nonsense. So it's cool that, you know, if you're, you have a positive test, you have to stay home, I guess, because that's right. But they're not compensated, but they're not compensated, which, yeah, I really dislike that very, very, very much. Yeah. So, what else is going on? Uh, meanwhile, full-time Bioware employees get to retain their work-from-home flexibility. What? Well, again, it's the difference, and we've seen this. We saw this with the Nintendo conversation. We've seen this Contractors. With, right. It's, con it's, contra it's, a, contractor it's a contractor problem. Well, and that's the thing, too, though, is, like, Keywords is really interesting with what they provide in terms of services. I, Rex, I swear to God, do use? not... He's just going to start, like, licking the... I'm sorry if you're hearing like weird lippy smacky noises. It's the dog. It's the dog. It's not me this time. <laughs> Very confusing. Um, so yeah, like keywords is doing really interesting things and I appreciate the, the services that they provide. But if they're not, if the companies are not like taking care of the contractors, they probably shouldn't be embedded. Like... Yeah. I'm it, very confused. Like, well, this whole situation so is very it, confusing. It feels like, and this was, um, Kotaku wrote a report as well, and their sources described the relationship between Keywords employees at Bioware as being fully directed by Bioware staff. So, Keywords is almost operating like a placement agency, if you've ever done temp work, where... I have placed people I, I used to be a temp, so... I used to be a career counselor. So, <laughs> so what happens is Bioware pays, doesn't pay the employees, those keywords employees directly. They pay keywords and then keywords is responsible for it. Right. Because they're providing a service. Exactly. And it's an on-site service and they're just told like, do whatever you're told to do. These people, you know, Bioware is in charge. Okay. Yep. All right. Uh, last bit for today. Another ABK story. Uh, uh, this one reported by French outlet Game Cult and picked oh. up by Games Industry. Oh, so this is overseas. Yes. Uh, former Blizzard Versailles staff have won a case in France related to the location <gasps> nice. shuttering in 2020. Yeah, this group, was a big one. Yeah, the group of employees alleged that Activision Blizzard's PSE, which is similar to consultation in the UK. So that is if you're going to say, hey, we're going to lay off a bunch of people, we're going to close the studio, you have to go into a cool down period where yep. you look at other options, whatever. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it was not justified. They didn't handle it properly. Of course they did. So the court agreed. And while it cannot at this point force Activision Blizzard to rehire the employees and find new placements for them, affected staff may get a minimum of six months of salary from the company. We love to see it. And then also, uh, I saw this, Axios reported on this, I think. 
Activision Blizzard is urging shareholders to vote down a measure. I think this was um, required by New York State. Remember, Vicarious right, right, right. is in New York. Uh, to vote um, down? To vote down. So the, so the company, Activision Blizzard, is telling shareholders, vote no on this measure that would require the company to provide an annual harassment and discrimination report. Yeah, I see you guys are making those cultural changes. Good job. It's, this is like the dumbest, shittiest thing. Like, how stupid do you need to be? It's not even just stupid. It's just evil yeah. at this point. Like, it's 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 just straight up they are making choices because they want to continue to be evil. Just gather the data, absorb the cost, and at least just go through the motions of reporting it out. No. Do you don't want to know. No. Do a good job. Well, but here's the thing. If they if they do this, if they if they go through the process of gathering the data and reporting the data, they can't claim ignorance, which is what all they've been doing for years. Like this whole thing just makes me so angry. It is. Just like do it. I saw that I saw that today and I'm like I got to throw this in the show notes because this is just this is this is just it's corporate malice. It is. is what it is. It is corporate malice. I I would agree, but you know what's not malicious though, or what's not maliciously intended? Is it is it Rex eating the microphone? Well, I mean, there's also that, but also we are only over an hour. Like we did it. Okay, that we was got, a lot. That was a lot, that and was it was it was a lot of Square Enix stuff. But we, you know, we, you all had a lot of questions for us, and if you have more questions, we'll yeah, answer we'll, them. We, we'll be glad to tackle them next week as well. Yeah, for sure. So if 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 our conversation spawns any new questions, don't hesitate. Even about so, Embracer, because like we yeah. had a very unexpected conversation about corporate structure. Yes, absolutely. But uh, but yeah, we got through it. So thanks for listening to the Virtual Economy Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Virtual Econcast. I am at Amanda Farrow. I am at Futterish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H. Rex does not have a social media. Oh, actually he has an Instagram. Yes, he does. He but has I haven't updated it in Rex, Rex the Schnoodle. Rex the Schnoodle. You can follow him at Rex the Schnoodle on Instagram. Yep. It's good times. Yep. You can also subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com. You can also <laughs> listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, Stitcher, Pocket Casters, usually one more. Pocket ah, ha, ha, ha. You hit Rex, not me this time. Oh, my puppy. Oh, well, guess you gotta be more careful with your pocket sand. Well, if you want Rex on the show more often, <laughs> you can let us know. Or, or, alternatively, or rather, and, you could uh, subscribe. Review the show. Send us some love letters. You know, we like to hear from you. And if you have any questions, you can DM us for now on Twitter. Um, or you can send them to podcast at fsquared.biz. You can also join our Discord. We have very lively conversations in Discord, especially around big business beats. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, that's what we're doing. Uh, yeah, that's about it. That's about it. So we will be back probably next Monday. If I yeah, had to guess. Monday seems to be our cadence right now. We entirely reserve the right to change our minds immediately following next Monday. The problem is like, so next weekend is, of course, Mother's Day on Sunday. If you haven't remembered, now's a good time to remember. Uh, and the day before, we're, we're throwing uh, a joint 18th birthday party for our daughter and our bonus daughter. So uh, it's going to be a busy weekend. And we've been spending every weekend kind of unpacking the house. We are we are getting so close to being to being donezo. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a thing. But yeah, so we're, we're going to stay on our Monday cadence for now. 
But I would imagine that summertime will roll around and we'll move back to weekends as where like, or we'll move to different weekdays. Yep. I'm not really sure how things are going to work out yet. We eventually need to set up our studio so that we can start streaming again. Yeah, but it's tough. We're still, we're still learning the space. We are. Absolutely. And that is the one space in the house that is just not set up yet. It, yeah, no, that's been the lowest priority, yeah. unfortunately, but also makes the most sense. So in the meantime, we will see you next week at some point. But remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. We'll see you soon.